Mark chapter 16, it says there in verse 15, one of my most favorite passages of Scripture, Jesus speaking, he said to them and to us, he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. I want to talk to you today for a few minutes about our witness. You know, this passage of Scripture is called the Great Commission. And these were the very last words that Jesus used on earth to his followers before he ascended into heaven. And those words weren't just for his followers, where he commissioned them to go into all the world. They were words for his followers throughout the generations. So those words are for you and for me today. Jesus told them, and he told us, he said, go. Now, I know you all know, because you're all scholars of the English language, that the word go means to go. Amen? You can't go anywhere sitting down. Amen. Go is an action word. Now, I was never really that great at English, which I'm sure some of you might pick up on, but I do know what go means, and it's a, it's a verb, yes? English scholars, yes? And it means to go, and you need to move when, when go is said. I mean, you as a kid, if your parents tell you to go, you know the best thing to do is to go, because you know that disobedience to that request our command has consequences, yeah? So Jesus said, go. He said to you and me, go. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Now we know that go is an action word, it's a movement word, and in, in, in order for us to fulfill that, we gotta go. But in all the things that we do in our going, we need to get ready, don't we? You can't go someplace without getting ready. I mean, nobody goes to town in their pajamas. Well, at least you shouldn't. <laughs> if you're gonna go to town, please get dressed. We have this all the time at home. All the time. I'll say to Angela, I'm going to town, I need to do something. And, and Angela will say, oh, I'm going with you. And I'm thinking, fantastic. Because everywhere I go, I love that she comes with me. But I also know that when I go to town, it takes me two minutes to get ready. Generally, I just need to put my shoes on. But when Angela says she comes to town with me, it takes a little bit longer. Because Angela needs to get ready to go. Amen? See, when I say we're going, the first thing Angela will say to me is, which town are we going to? Because that makes a difference. If we're going to Wexford, you've got to dress one way. If you're going to Enniscord, you've got to dress another way. If you're going, and then she'll say, you know, what are we doing? Are we going just for a drive or are we going to the shops? And, and if we're going to the shops, which shops are we going to? Because, again, that makes a difference in whether you need to put makeup on or you don't need to put makeup on. Are we going to Wexford? Are we going to walk up the street? Then I need a certain pair of runners. I can't wear normal shoes because they'll hurt my feet. So there's preparation needed to be made before you go. And the last thing we do after half an hour, 45 minutes, before we actually leave the house, is Angela will check everything 100 times. She'll check, make sure all the windows are closed. She'll check the back door two or three times. She'll, she'll check the front door. And, and in Angela's family, they have a great saying when you close the front door is, is to make sure it has closed, is you throw your body against it. And I mean, now, some doors, the best thing to do is don't throw your body against it. Amen? Because if you throw your body against some doors, you probably will go through it, and then you can't go anywhere at all. Go. Jesus gave this commandment to go, but in order for us to go, we've got to get ready. Amen? We've got to make preparations. Go into all the world, Jesus said. But we want to be witnesses to Jesus, but in our going, we've got to make sure that we get ready. Amen? 
remember when I made Jesus the Lord and Savior of my life all of those years ago, and one of the first things that I was told was, now that you've made Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life, you need to go out there and you need to tell other people that they need to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life as well. Now, that's great, but that's a problem. Because, and I'll tell you why it was a problem, because I really knew nothing about witnessing. You know, I was told, you're saved, go out and witness. But I, did, I, I knew very little. I, I knew, yes, I knew that Jesus was my Lord and Savior, but when it came to telling other people about Jesus, I was like, what do I say? What if they ask me questions? What if they start to argue with me? I mean, am I just going to say, here, take this, make Jesus Lord and Savior of your life? And, and, and then if they ask me questions, I'm kind of like, mm, I don't know. In order for us to go and preach the gospel and tell other people about Jesus, we need to know ourselves, don't we? Yeah, we do. We do. You could never be a salesman for something unless you know about the things you're selling. Amen? I mean, no point in asking someone to sell a computer if they haven't got a computer themselves. Amen. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. But for me, this was a big thing because it brought up some major insecurities in my life because I had no idea. I did not know how to tell other people about Jesus. And you know what the truth was? The people who led me to Jesus didn't really know either, either, how to preach the gospel. They didn't know how to, to tell people about Jesus either. They, they knew a basic, you know, you need Jesus for salvation. Again, if someone had have picked an argument with them, they were lost too. We were kind of like the, the blind leading the blind. So how do we prepare to preach the gospel to every creature? How do we get ready? We get ready by drawing near to the Father. Amen? We get ready by studying out His Word, learning about Him. I mean, years ago they used to have a program on, on British television called Mr. and Mrs. Anybody ever see it? Maybe in your country they had something similar. It was where they brought on a couple who were married uh, for a number of years, and and they'd ask them individual questions about their husband or their wife, and then they'd bring out their husband or their wife, and they'd say, you know, we asked your partner a few minutes ago, what was their favorite food? And they'd say straight off, spaghetti. I love spaghetti. And then they'd bring out the wife, and they'd say, your husband was asked this question, and, and we want to know what do you think he answers? And, oh, cabbage and spuds. <laughs> I mean, you don't go on a show like that unless you know your Spouse, amen? So those who used to win were the ones who really knew about their husband or wife. And in order for us to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ, we've got to know about him. Amen? And to know about him, we've got to draw near to him. Every one of you is today, either on your lap or in your hands, you've got a Bible. Whether it be on your phone or whether it be in print matter. And that is, that Bible in front of you is, is God's love letter to you. Amen? And I remember when Angela and I, when we, when we started into this life together, we, we were engaged 30 years ago this week, since we got engaged. 30 years ago this week. I know that because she told me. <laughs> but we've been together now for 33 years. 33 years together. And in that 33 years, when we started out together, when we met in school, you know how we got to know each other? Two letters. 
she'd write a letter to me, I'd write a letter to her. Now, they were little short letters, but, you know, they were love letters. I still have them. I hope she has some of my <laughs> letters to someplace. But I still have them someplace. But God wrote a love letter to you and me. And he bound it in this <clears throat> book that you have sitting on your lap today called the Bible. Mm. So if you want to know God, that's where you look. Amen? If you want to know about him, you got to read about him. you got to talk to him. How did I get to know Angela? I talked to her. We spent as much time as we could together. I lived in the country, she lived in town. When we, we weren't in school and when we were during the summer holidays, when we had both finished school, because we only met in sixth year, when we finished school, I'd cycle into town or I'd walk into town to meet her and we'd spend hours together getting to know each other. And we'd talk for hours. We'd talk about the things and the dreams that we had and things that we liked and things we didn't like. And, and over that time, we, we grew closer together and we knew and we know more and more about each other now because we've been together so long. When you get to know Jesus, the reality of the situation is when you get to know him, you really are only getting to know him. And the only thing that you can do as regards to your witness is, is tell people, well, here's my experience with Jesus. You know, I don't believe that, that even when Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, I really don't believe that he meant for people to go out there, stand on a soapbox in the middle of a square, and, and preach something out of, a, out of a word that they didn't know. I've heard many preachers preach out of the word of God that they hadn't a clue about what they were talking about. Because I've heard many preachers go out there to try to witness to people, tell them that God doesn't like them, that God's angry at them, that God is judging them, that God is ready to take them out. And when you hear people preaching that kind of a gospel, they don't know Jesus. Amen? They just know about his judgment. They know about, about things that really does not reflect our God today and everything that he did for us through his son Jesus. See, our God is not angry at us today. Our God is not mad. Our God took out all of his anger on his son Jesus so that you and I today can walk in the grace of God. Do you have a comprehension of the grace of God? Do you know what the grace of God really, really means? I know many people in church that really have not got a full comprehension of what the grace of God is. And that's sad. You know why we don't have a comprehension of what the grace of God is? Because we're not diving into his word. His word is full of grace. Amen. Amen. It's full of grace. You read through the New Testament and you know, and, and you read it, and, and when you're reading it, you're reading, well, you know, this is all of the things that I've done in my life, and how could God love me? And then you read about the love of God and how he sent his son Jesus to not only cover over your sins, but to pay for your sins. And, and in that, you realize, at least we should, that God's grace is so rich. It's so deep. I've met many people who are religious people who don't recognize the grace of God or who don't think that the grace of God stretches as far as it does. 
But I know one Christian. He, he actually doesn't go to church that often. But I marvel at his understanding of the grace of God. I've had many conversations with him recently, and in those conversations, I have to sit back and say, wow, he may not be a regular churchgoer, but he understands greatly the grace of God. You see, the grace of God is the kind of grace that when you make a mistake, that God doesn't stand over you and go, tut, tut, tut. How bad are you? The grace of God is the sort of grace that when you make a mistake, when you fall, that God is there like this. Come on. Up you get. The grace of God didn't allow Peter to drown when he took his eyes off of him. But the grace of God leaned down, reached down under the water and pulled him up. How many of you have felt under the water recently? Where you've started to do things or have done things that you know you shouldn't have done. And in all of that, the enemy is there and he is, he's the one pointing the finger. The enemy, he's pointing the finger. Word of God says he is the accuser of the brethren. Accusing you and I. Tapping on our shoulders and saying, I saw that. I heard that. I seen that sign language that you did. But all the while, Jesus is there saying, that's okay. It's not perfect. It's not my will for you. But my grace covers it. You see, yes, we are sinners saved by grace. That, that, that is a fact. But when some people go and they say, oh, I'm a dirty, low-down sinner. Saved by grace. They only kind of add in that saved by grace there at the end. They understand and they, they live in this life that is a sinner. But when we say statements like that, that I'm a sinner saved by grace, we got to realize that the first part is more than covered by the second part. Yeah, we're sinners. We all make mistakes. There's not one of us here that didn't make at least one mistake every hour this week. But the grace of God is the most powerful, is the most powerful force in the universe. It doesn't just cover over our sins like the, the blood of a bull or a goat or a dove. It completely obliterates our sins. You see, God does not want us to live a life that's sin conscious. Too many Christians out there live in a life that's sin conscious. Yes, we sin, we know that, but in our sins we also know that they are completely wiped out. Not that we should ever use or abuse that for our own benefit, saying, well, you know what, I can do this because Jesus has already taken care of it. No, it's not a license to sin. It's a license to recognize God's grace even more. Who was forgiven much, loves much. Amen? And that's you and I. We've got to recognize that. When you make a mistake, don't, don't get out the proverbial whip and, and start beating yourself over the back to make yourself feel better. 
Because we all grew up in that if you grew up in a religion. We grew up in a religion that said if you made a, if you made a mistake, that if you sinned, you had to do penance. And penance took uh, many different forms for many different people. For some people, penance was where they would have to say three Our Fathers and four Hail Marys. But penance for other believers was where they literally had to beat themselves, chastise themselves. And they felt that in that chastising of themselves, that in that now I can be forgiven. But we forget when we do things like that, that the beaten, the whipping, the lashes for the price for your sin and for my sin were placed on Jesus' back, not on yours. Least any man should boast. Amen? Amen? Because if you live in the flesh, you will be judged by the flesh. Amen? If you live in the spirit, you walk in the, true, the truth of grace. The truth of grace is your slate is wiped clean. Amen. Amen. I don't care what you did in the past. You know why I don't care? God doesn't care. Because you have a slate in heaven. But the blood of Jesus washes it clean. By your works, by your good works, by, by, by all of your chastising of yourself, by the punishing of yourself does not take an eraser to your whiteboard in heaven. That eraser was taken by Jesus. When he died on the cross for you, and when he said it is finished, he said that the penalty for sin is being paid. And it was like Jesus went to heaven and he got all of the whiteboards in heaven with all of your names on it, with all of your sins on it, that the enemy constantly reminded God of every time you sinned and failed. It was like, it, it was like Jesus got the, the eraser and, he, and the eraser was dripping in his blood and he went, all has been forgiven. Not just the past ones. Not just the ones that you've done before you came to church this morning, but the ones that you'll do this afternoon, the ones that you'll do next week, the ones that you'll do next year, all have been forgiven and washed clean in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's how we live. We walk in grace. We live in grace. Because what good would we be to this world to be witnesses in this world if we constantly disqualified ourselves because of our sins? I can't witness today because I looked at that yoke last night. I can't witness today because I smoked that thing last night. I can't witness today because I thought that thought this morning. Church, the apostles weren't perfect. They denied Jesus. They walked away from Jesus. They ran at the first sign of trouble. But yet, Jesus came back, and before he entered into heaven, he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Jesus knew they weren't perfect. He knew you and I would not be perfect. He knew we'd make mistakes. He knew we'd do that thing we'd done last week that we didn't mean to do. Paul himself, he said, how wretched a man am I? That I know the things that I need to do, but I don't do the things I need to do, but I do the things that I don't want to do. He said, how wretched a man am I? 
And he said, I am the least of all those called. And I mean, if the apostle Paul thought he was the least, at least I'm one step above him, amen? And if I could do a fraction, and if you could do a fraction of the things that the apostle Paul did, praise the Lord, we'd move this world, amen? We are called to be witnesses. How do we do it? We get to know the one whom we're called to be witnesses of. If I was to bring you up here today, anybody, and say, how did you meet Jesus? How did you get to know Jesus? You know what that is? That's your witness. You know, the, the other thing that fri it frightened me all those years ago, I thought that I, have to I, I had to know all about the Scriptures, all about the Old Testament, all about the book of Isaiah, all about revelations. I thought I had to knew and get all of my end-time doctrines right before I could go out and be a witness. Nothing could be further than the truth. Amen. Amen. All you need to know, how did you encounter Jesus? Well, let me tell you how I encountered Jesus. I used to work in a deli. Now, I love God. I did. But I didn't know God. And in my workplace, one of my friends, who was probably the biggest blackguard of them all, he got to know Jesus. And he came to our workplace and praised the Lord in the nothing that he knew about God. He started to talk to me about it. And in his talking to me about it, we threw questions back and forward. We had discussions. We had arguments sometimes. And in all of my arguments, when I go back to my little blue Gideon's Bible that I had at home on my locker and read what it said, I seen it was the truth. You see, when I was in religion, I prayed, Lord, reveal yourself to me before I die. Because I didn't want to be the best Catholic I could be and still die in my sin. I wanted to know. I said, Lord, let me know what I need to do so that I know when I close my eyes for the final time on this earth that I'll open them and I'll be standing face to face with you. And in God's grace, he got my friends saved to get me saved. I believe that. And he came and he witnessed to me. He'd done the best he could. But I tell you, it wasn't articulate. It wasn't filled full of knowledge and fancy words, old King James stuff. He told me, here's what happened to me. Here's what I read in that Bible. Here's my understanding of what I read in that Bible. And over the course of a few weeks, I came to know Jesus. Your story is probably different on how you came to know Jesus. Many of you were probably born in Christian households and, and were taught all of the days of your life about Jesus and came to a decision yourself at some stage. Others, it may have been a different story altogether. You may have been saved out of drugs or prostitution or crime or, or whatever. I don't know. But here's the thing that you've got to remember. You were saved out of. Amen. Before Paul became to know Jesus, he was called Saul, and he was a persecutor of the church. Many, many Believers of the, in the early church came to their demise at Paul's hands, persecuted him, consented to Saul or to, to Stephen's death. 
and many, many others. But you know what? When he encountered Jesus, Jesus changed his name. He said, you are no longer called Saul, you are Paul. Because when you come to know Jesus, you are a new creation. Old things are passed away. He said, behold, all things become new. Does that mean that everything changes overnight? No, because as I said, Paul said, how wretched a man am I? This was a number of years after he came to know Jesus. He was like, I'm still doing some of the things I did in the past. I'm not perfect. And you will never be perfect. Shock horror. I'm not perfect. That you were meant to go, oh, no, no, you're as close as you can get. <laughs> Far from it. But you know how I can say that? Because you're not perfect either. Yeah. Amen? We're not perfect. You never will be perfect. It is not within man to be able to save himself. I had a friend, worked in that same place. Worked in the deli as well. And when my friend started to witness to him, he said, you know what? I'm a good person. I don't do anybody any harm. If anybody is in need, I'll give, them, I'll give them whatever they need. I hurt nobody. I don't really talk about anybody. No way God can turn me away from heaven. And looking back, I just see the arrogance in that statement. In his statement, he's saying, I'm good enough. In my own strength, I can save me. Nobody can save themselves. Salvation is found only in the name of Jesus. Amen. There is not a different door in heaven for Catholics. There's not a different door for Protestants, for Muslims, for Jews, for agnostics. There's not a different door in heaven for Hindus. There is one door in heaven, and that way is through Jesus and Jesus only. And no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, you are only one decision away from knowing Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. You see, God is great. God is amazing. He didn't make it hard. Glory to God. Because I'm not that smart. And neither are you. I marvel at people who buy all these volumes of, 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 of concordances of the Bible. Their walls are full of concordances and references and all of that stuff. I marvel at them. As I wonder, wow, have you read all of those? Do you understand all of those? And in all of your trying to understand, what are you trying to understand? Because Jesus didn't make it hard. He said, whoever believes in me and confesses my name shall be saved. And we have all these books on the wall to try and make Christianity difficult. Maybe you came from a church in the past that made Christianity difficult. Can I tell you? When Jesus looked for followers, he didn't go to the seminary. He didn't go to the synagogue. He went to the sea. He went to find some common fishermen. Amen? Common fishermen who knew plenty of sign language, who knew plenty of rough words. He went in and looked for normal people like you and me. And I thank God for that because if he'd have went to the seminary, if he'd have went and got a few rabbis to be his followers, that would have made it difficult for you and me because none of us are that smart. 
Salvation is free. And it's easy. Well, it's easy for us. It wasn't easy for Jesus. He was beaten and battered. His back was ripped open. He was scourged. He was tortured. He was nailed to a cross. Can you imagine that? Nailed to a cross. Those nails weren't sterile. Those nails were big and rusty. They weren't shot in with a nail gun. They were beaten in with a rudimentary hammer into his arm or hands and into his feet. And he was hung on that cross until he died of suffocation. Because when someone is hanging on a cross, everything in them is, is weighing downwards and actually they, they, they actually die of suffocation. And he done that for you and for me and for everybody else in the world. He paid the price for our salvation. And he made it easy for us. He said, for God so loved the world, John 3, 16, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever, your whoever, believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. It says, whoever believes in him. Doesn't say anything else. Doesn't say that they get down on their hands and knees and write out every sin that they've ever sinned from the time that they had consciousness to that day and confessed every one of those sins. It said, no, it says, whoever believes in me would not perish but have everlasting life. You see, salvation is not found in you confessing every one of your sins that you've ever sinned. We haven't time, amen? nor volumes enough to write them down. When you come to know Jesus, you recognize the fact that I'm a sinner. It was for my sins that he was nailed on that cross. And in recognizing your position as a sinner, you cry out to Jesus and you say, I recognize you as my Lord and Savior. Please save me. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. There is no condemnation. Next time you do something wrong and you feel condemned for it, it's not coming from God. It's coming from the enemy. The Word of God says we are to give the enemy no place in our life. So when that condemnation comes, you turn to God. And you say, Lord, there is no condemnation for me because I'm in Christ. Recognize. You know what repentance means? It means the recognition of sin and turning there from it. It doesn't mean getting down on your hands and knees and beating yourself up over the sin. It means that you recognize it and you turn from it. Because that sin has been taken care of in the blood of Jesus. Salvation is 
for everyone. Not just for the few, it's for everyone. It's for you. It was for me. It is for me. Romans 10 and verse 9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, it says you will be saved. For me, salvation is what I wanted. I wanted to know when I close my eyes for the final time that I am 150 million percent sure that I will be with God forever. I don't like this maybes. I'm not a maybe person. Hey, listen, I want to go to Dublin tomorrow. Oh, yeah, I'm maybe going to Dublin tomorrow. I maybe give you a, list, a lift. I don't like them odds. I like certainty. Amen? Amen? And the Word of God gives me certainty. Tells me that if I confess Jesus as my Lord and Savior, then I will be saved. It's not up for question. And it won't be up for question tomorrow after I'm making the mistake again. It's sealed, the Word of God says. Your salvation is sealed in heaven. Glory to God. Because anything that's sealed in heaven is out of the reach of the enemy, amen? And also out of my reach, meaning there's nothing that I can do to lose it. Glory to God. It's taken out of my hands because God knew, God knew that Paul would sin again. God knew that Ender would sin again. So the only way to make sure that this guy is not going to sin himself out of the kingdom is take his salvation once he's given it to me out of his hands. When you give your life to Jesus, your salvation is taken out of your hands and it's sealed in heaven, away from my access, away from the enemy's access. It's in God. Amen? Romans chapter 10 and verse 13 says, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If that's you this morning, I want all of us, actually, let's stand to our feet this morning. I want all of us to pray this prayer, but if that's you today and you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want you to earnestly pray this prayer now. Accepting the price that Jesus paid on the cross for your sins. Accepting that free gift of salvation that comes in you saying, God, I want in. I recognize what Jesus did for me on the cross. I recognize the penalty that he paid. I recognize, yes, that I'm a sinner, but I recognize that he paid the price for my sins. I want you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. If that's you today, I want you to earnestly say to God, I want to be yours, that I am yours. Pray this prayer after me today, every one of us today. Heavenly Father, thank you for forgiving me. Jesus, save me. Make me, new. Make me new. Fill me with your spirit, me with your spirit. So, that so that I can live for you. Thank you for this new life. Thank you for this new life. I give my life to you. To you. In, Jesus name I pray. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer this morning, 
I want to let you know that your salvation is secure now in heaven. The price that it cost was paid for by Jesus. And you have received a free gift of salvation. If you feel comfortable in your decision today, and if you want to let us know afterwards, if you need a Bible, if you need anything else, the Bible is free. It's a free gift, not from us. It's a free gift from God. So if you need a Bible, or if you need a Bible in your own language, please let us know. We, we have English Bibles. Absolutely, we can give them to you. If you need a Bible in your own language, we can get you one. We want you to get to know greater this Savior, Jesus, that you and I have through his love letter, the Bible. Amen? Amen. Praise God.